the biggest gift that the costume shop manager gave me was the first day that we did fittings. I was like, you know, so how do how do you go about doing this and what have you? She's like, well, you're the designer. Get in there and do it, you know? Wow. So it kind of was like, like literally, I remember a light bulb moment of being like, you're right, I am the designer. Like, what am I afraid of? It does get boring. Mm. <laughs> you know, after a while, you're doing the same show every day when you're on a big show like that. And um, so you have to find people that can kind of I don't want to say be self-entertaining, but that can deal with that sameness every day. You have to find what it is that that makes you want to be a part of this. You know, when I when I left Cirque uh, in 2018, I took some time to really reflect on. I, I mean, I I was happy to do nothing for a little while. I think yeah. I was, you know. And welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast. Today we're talking with Sandra Fox. Sandra Fox is the head of costumes for Houston Ballet. She started her career at the Lyric Opera of Chicago as a wardrobe assistant while finishing her degree in theatre from Northern Illinois University. She worked off-season at the Goodman Theatre in Chicago as first-hand. After several seasons, Sandra moved to Hubbard Street Dance Chicago as wardrobe supervisor, establishing a costume shop and touring with the company. In 2002, Sandra ran away with the circus and joined Cirque du Soleil on tour as head of wardrobe with Allegria. She then moved to Las Vegas where she had the opportunity to open the show Car as assistant head of wardrobe. After opening the show, she moved to Love as head of wardrobe where she stayed from creation until the summer of 2018. Sandra is happy to be in such a creative city and enjoys taking in arts performances as well as visiting museums in the area with her husband and son. Sandra, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> so tell me, because I don't know the answer to these questions either, how, how did you get into wardrobe? What was the impetus from um, your childhood uh, and into this career? Well, the funny thing is I think I was more musically inclined than I was uh, theatrically inclined. I always wanted to perform music and be a part of musicals and I um, played piano and violin, and I knew I wanted a career somehow in music, but I knew I didn't, I didn't have it in me to actually be a performer. And so I was um, thinking that I would maybe go into musical management of some kind. And th when I went to school and started to talk to them about that degree, it was really a long program. That, that mm. you had to take because you had to kind of design your own program and it was very competitive in the business school. And I thought, well, while I'm over here, you know, maybe I'll just go talk to the people in the theater department. I don't, I honestly don't know what brought me in. And they <laughs> were like, great, you know, like, let's, let's bring you in. You know, do you know how to sew? Do you know how to, um, you know, do you have any interest in costumes and what have you? And so we just got to talking and I kind of fell into it and I decided to just embrace it and worked as much as I possibly could while I was in college and actually started with the Lyric Opera my last year that I was in college. Um, so I was commuting three days a week down in the Lyric and two days a week finishing up my degree. And um, yeah, it just kind of, I think it chose me more than I chose it. You know, I, 
I came from a time when we had home e economics in school. So I knew how to sew and, you know, do things like that. But I wasn't like passionate about costumes and theater mm. when I was in school, which is funny. That's interesting. I stayed what, with it. <laughs> something must have interested you when you started that course, though. Like, what was it that, because theater is sort of a broad term. Were you specifically going into wardrobe at that point or just more theater training? I think I was, I think I was honestly more fascinated by like wigs and makeup mm. and had talked to them about that. And they, you know, they were really honest with me. I mean, here I was in the middle of Northern Illinois University, which is in DeKalb, Illinois. And they said, you know, if you want to do that, you kind of have to pick a coast. And I was like, well, I'm here. So <laughs> how about just costuming? I mean, it, it really was honestly that simple. It wasn't, mm. it wasn't a big planned out thing. Like I say, we didn't have a long discussion about it. Mm. Um, and at the time, they had a really great technology program. They had a solid BA program, which I think so many of the schools now have gone to BFA and are very mm. design oriented. But they really, really were spinning out a lot of very talented technicians that were working in the Chicago area. Um, so I was kind of part of that schooling. And was that, uh, what were the skills that they taught you there? Aside from the, the, the sewing, what, what other things did you cultivate during that time? Well, they really, they really kind of taught me a well-rounded bunch of theater. I mean, there was, there was makeup, but I don't know that I ever had a makeup class at all, which is very funny to me to think about at this day <laughs> and age. I'm like, you know, of all the things that I was interested in, they really thought that was a focus for actors. Mm. You know, like wardrobe didn't need to learn how to do wake makeup and wigs, but the actors might. Mm. Um, so they were really of that mindset, but they, they really wanted us to get a well-rounded education. So, I mean, we were doing shop and I actually designed lights for a couple of shows and, um, you know, I, I did all sorts of things like that. And then the woman that happened to run the costume shop at the time had come from, you know, some pretty solid theater herself. She had come in from the Guthrie, I think most recently. And, um, it was really good having her background as a professional, um, just coming out of that that kind of um, organization to guide me and, and be mm. a little more realistic about what you need. Cause I think sometimes in school you learn a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily help. I also decided to focus on the work. I decided I really wanted to work in the costume shop, try and do as much as possible. Um, and then of course, design was part of that as well. We, we were required to take design courses and I, had the opportunity to design a couple of pieces and, you know, just really get out there and explore. And I think the biggest gift that the costume shop manager gave me was the first day that we did fittings. I was like, you know, so how do, how do you go about doing this and what have you? And she's like, well, you're the designer, get in there and do it. You know? Wow. So it kind of was <laughs> like, like literally I remember a light bulb moment of being like, you're right. I am the designer. Like, what am I afraid of? Like get in there and and fit this costume the way I want it to look. So, you know, there are just all those experiences, all those different people and um, the different uh, um, areas of theater pushing me kind of mm. to succeed and to experience and what have you, I think has really made me who I am today or started me, started making me who I am today because I really 
I really enjoy the fact that I have a background in lighting or I have a, you know, I've put together a set or something and I kind of understand how that all goes together, even at this day and age, um, in terms of like what it means to be cooperative. Well, it's such a collaborative art theater, right? So even if you're doing one corner of the, uh, of the production, it does have to, in the end, how a costume might look on stage with the light is different than what it looks like in under fluorescence, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So for those who don't understand what a costume shop is or what it does, explain in a typical theatrical sense, you know, when you're in a costume shop, what is its functions? Well, a costume shop, uh, there's a couple of different, there's a costume shop and there's a wardrobe shop, right? And sometimes they kind of meet up. Everyone likes to call the stuff different things. And sometimes they're the same job and sometimes they're wholly different. But a costume shop will take um, designs sometimes and will like make those designs into costumes, right? So if a, if someone draws a pretty picture and they talk to you about what they're looking for and you find the fabric and you find the trim and you do the dye work and, and what have you, you know, you have a shop that patterns up that that costume like making clothes and then you fit it on to an artist and you finish it so that they can function in their role on the stage. And it can include everything from makeup and hair to shoes and accessories like jewelry or hats and headpieces, um, sometimes masks, sometimes special effects items. And um, the difference between a costume shop and wardrobe is that sometimes wardrobe is just taking those and taking care of those items. Um, Mm. Whereas a costume shop usually is seeing the whole process come to life before it goes onto the stage. A wardrobe shop is then taking it and taking care of it while it's on the stage. Um, But like I say, a lot of times those get combined (laughs) Mm. and we do a little bit of everything. Um, but that's what it is. And, you know, here at Houston Ballet, I'm really lucky because I have at least 12 people that are usually working for me. Um, sometimes up to like 20, 25 people are working to maybe get our nutcracker together. And uh, we all just make it happen. I mean, mm. you know, whether it's a piece that we pull out of a box that's in storage and then we just have to bring it back to life and fit it on everyone, make sure that it looks the way it looked at, and you know, when it was originally made, um, or whether it's like today, I had a meeting with a, a lovely designer to talk about a new piece that we're going to start making within the next couple of weeks, you know, and, and so he was showing me his designs. We were talking about fabric and, and fit and, um, you know, we just make it come to life. It's great. Sounds like a, the that's the more the shop becomes more of a creative aspect, right? Because you're getting to help Absolutely. create the, the thing. Yeah, yeah. So you've done dance and circus and theater. So tell us about co- the differences in costumes in those realms. How how different are they, and the and the process? I can imagine there's there's fairly different applications, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and I started out in opera. <laughs> Oh, yes, an opera, right? (laughs) And in opera, it's like, it's really different because, you know, one, you're just working with different people, right? So you you have different types of artists and they have different functional uh, necessities, let's say. (laughs) 
So an opera singer, of course, they want to be able to breathe in what they're doing and what they're wearing so that they can, um, you know, produce the, the, the most from their voice and from their body. Right. But they also sometimes want to be able to push against that. So sometimes they want something to fit a little tighter somewhere. Um, usually in the opera world, you're using a lot of materials that aren't necessarily designed for clothing. You know, I've found mm. I've used more upholstery furniture or uh, more upholstery fabric just because of the texture of it and the grandeur of it. You know, you're looking at trying to recreate some, um, you know, medieval looks or something like that. So you want things that really read on stage as being like, you know, these are woven fabrics and they're, you know, they're, they're something else. So you, you end up with a lot of fabric that's just kind of inappropriate and it ends up being a little bit more difficult or challenging, I should say, to work with um, and heavier. Mm. <laughs> and then you get into the dance world and you're trying to support people in their movement. So you don't want things to necessarily constrict them. Um, you want them you want it to be able to stretch the way they need it to or move the way they need it to. Maybe there's a stretch element within the costume, but their their basic costume that you're seeing on the outside doesn't stretch, but you want it to flow. You know, mm. it, it accentuates the movement when they turn and you see that fabric billow, you know, it, it creates a different effect. So there's all sorts of of different ways that we try and accentuate what is what is being done on stage and help those artists function um cirque you know when we were working with the circus it, there was an awful lot of stretch that was required but there were also a lot of materials that were very new you know they might come from the fashion world Mm -hmm. um, maybe they weren't designed to like move at all. They were more like a plastic element or something um, that we, we really had to learn about these new technical fabrics or, or these new technical processes. You know, maybe we were 3d printing a headpiece for someone to wear. Um, and that was just part of the look, you know, you could create something that was otherworldly without really bothering to have to, you know, invent, <laughs> an, you know, something new, you, you have this process that would make this item. Um, and I've learned more about like new technologies and how to just be creative with what you have around you from the circus, um, than anywhere else, just because it, it really sparked your imagination. You would, you would look at, everyday items differently and think, oh, well, <laughs> if we just cut that in half and stuck that on this thing and covered it in fabric, it would be, you know, this amazing, <laughs> this amazing looking thing, you know? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> you get, you get really creative when you're around people that are, are thinking differently, thinking outside mm. the box. So it's, it's been a lot of fun over the years to work with these different organizations coming back into ballet, um, I mean, obviously they're, they're doing a wide variety of dance here, but we're also doing classical ballet. And one of the things that I forgot about is how, you know, you, you share costumes <laughs> in the, in the ballet world, because it would be too expensive for you to oh, make I didn't know that. something for go. everyone. 
you know, so as you have different casting and everything, you have to fit these costumes multiple times on different people. And, um, you know, that was something when I first started back in the dance world, I was like, Ooh, yeah, wait a minute. Okay. Yes. Now I I remember how to do this, you know? (laughs) So, um, so that's been a challenge, but it's, it's also been a lot of fun to be down here and, and kind of get back into that classical world of, of uh tutus <laughs> lovely was there any challenges that were different when you were on tour with alegria when you're touring a show when you're touring a show there are a lot of challenges one i think the biggest challenge and it might sound silly and now a note from our sponsor the theater art life podcast is proud to be sponsored by clearcom clearcom is the leader in voice communications for theater and the performing arts call your cues with the simplicity and elegance of clearcom intercom solutions you can find them at C-L-E-A-R-C-O-M.com. Go check them out. Is water. Because everywhere water. you go in the world has different water. And so you find when you get into a city, maybe this water is so soft that it's really hard to get the costumes to rinse out all the soap. So you realize, okay, we're going to have to use less soap. But in this city, maybe the hot water is so hard <laughs> that you suddenly have rust stains in your costumes or you have um, artists who have like a skin rash and they think, wow. you know, can you not use that detergent anymore? And it has nothing to do with the detergent. It has to do with the water. So that was always a big challenge for us. Um, moving your entire theater, like picking up your entire theater, putting it on a truck and moving it somewhere else was different because when you go from city to city in an actual theater, you you have dressing room spaces, you have electricity set up and what have you. This, <laughs> you know, we were we were traveling everywhere and we had to wait for that to be set up for us. We had um, you know, one truck that was just a laundry room facility. And until that was fully hooked up for us, we couldn't do the laundry. Um, We had to keep our makeup in a little refrigerator because we were touring in places that were very humid and we were in a circus tent. And even though we had air conditioning in the circus tent, we didn't always have that air conditioning on. I mean, they turned it off at some point in time over the night. There was no no point to chilling a tent, Um, but we didn't want the the cream makeup to go bad. So we, we literally, people would walk in and be like, Oh, you have a mini fridge. And it's like, well, no, actually it's a makeup refrigerator, <laughs> you know, because we don't want it to melt. Um, mm. So, you know, there were, there were things like that being, being on your own, um, you know, away from any supportive theater group. Like, of course we had our headquarters in Montreal they were very supportive, but that, that didn't mean that they could be there tomorrow, you know, mm. to do something. And so you're always challenged. Like I remember going to Mexico city and we just didn't know that you couldn't get, um, makeup, uh, powder puffs anywhere. Oh. Like we, we went to so many stores and the only thing we could find were really high end cosmetic powder puffs, you know, and we were used to being able to go to like a, costume shop that sells Ben Nye products or something like that, you know, and spending $5 on a powder puff. And suddenly we were somewhere that it was like, no, you can get like a $26 Bobby Brown or, 
you know, it was things like that, that you're like, this is crazy. Like, why didn't, why didn't we know this? Why didn't we realize that this would be (laughs) so challenging, you know, to have, but, um, but there was also like fun aspects of it. Like you discover a lot when you're out on the road, um, Mm. with a big tour like that. And you're, you try new products, you try, um, new things and you discover, Hey, maybe they, this place has the answer, you know, like yeah. we, we should have been using this detergent all along or what, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, it's, you know, there was a lot of fun to be had yeah. there, but there was also a lot of challenges just in, in terms of making it work every day. Yeah. Wow. You have to be resourceful, I guess, very resourceful when you're on the move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you've been a, a head of wardrobe and head of costume shops. So what what do you look for in a team when you're when you're building a team, and what sort of skills are you see- seeking? And I can't imagine they're all the same type of skills. There must be a few different categories of people you want on a team, correct? Yeah, I remember when we were putting together Love, and um, we had a whole, I mean, folder full of resumes that was incredible. I mean, these, you know, people had really amazing experience that they were bringing in. Maybe they were coming from another Cirque show or some other theatrical experience directly in Las Vegas. Maybe they were somewhere else in the world. They, um, they really had a lot to offer. And, and I remember thinking like, well, where do we start? And I, decided to start with my primary team member who to me was my, um, my day lead. (laughs) So whoever was going to be the lead technician during the day, I was like, I'm going to build that crew around that person. And then the same for the evening crew. It's like, who is going to be my lead dresser? How do I get them, um, how do I have a team function around them? They were less clear. (laughs) Mm. I felt like, I felt like the lead technician was an easier find, you know, like the person had a tremendous amount of experience and knowledge and personality. I like, I knew that he would be able to lead the crew. And then it was a matter of finding people that complimented him that wouldn't necessarily compete with him if that makes mm. sense. They might have the same level of talent, but it was it was someone feeling sure enough about themselves to let him be the one to tell them what they were supposed to be doing. Right. And at night for the dressers, we really had people come in and kind of start to work with us for a couple of weeks because when you load into one of those theaters, you're not dressing things right away. As a matter of fact, for a couple of weeks, you're kind of like, well why don't you go watch this rehearsal? I mean, you're like, I I don't know what to do with people. You're just kind of are, are trying to figure out how to put together your shop. You've got people putting together furniture or you have, you know, make this fabric and put, build those shelves over there and then put this fabric in those shelves, you know, and, and that type of thing. And so, you know, we just watched how people worked and the, and inevitably the people that we thought they're going to be an amazing lead from their interview ended up being the people that were like, I don't think they're going to be a lead. It was kind of more the quiet people that were in the, not like mousy, but you know, the people that were just kind of self-assured 
in their mm-hmm. interview without being showy that we we kind of followed through and went, I think this person would be a really excellent lead because they we realized that they were really um, taking in what was happening around them in a more thoughtful manner than some of the people that we we had originally identified. So that became an interesting thing. Now coming, you know, later in the life of, of love, cause I was there for 13 years and about halfway through, we did an enormous project where we changed about 65% of the costumes. And I remember going through that and thinking, okay, we, at this point in time, we have an, what I would call an operational crew, which was a crew that was just going to be able to do 10 shows a week that wasn't going to get bored because it does get boring. Mm. <laughs> you know, after a while, you're doing the same show every day when you're on a big show like that. And um, so you have to find people that can kind of, I don't want to say be self-entertaining, but that can deal with that sameness every day mm. and, and find the fun in work and find, um, you know, the fact that like, they can find something to do if they don't have anything to do, you know? So there's, there's a difference between projects and like repairs and what have you. And then just having, you know, maybe a half hour of kind of dead time and, and you'd be amazed. Like some people can get in trouble very quickly, (laughs) Um, but but other people are really great. You know, other people are like, Oh, well, I'm just going to go back there and refold those towels because they've been a mess for a while. So we had this really wonderful operational crew and suddenly about halfway through the process, we changed about 65% of the costumes. And I remember at our post-mort talking about it and saying, you know, I think we really blew this opportunity because we, we really asked too much of this crew that wasn't geared towards this. This wasn't the same crew that we had when we first put in this show that wanted to do a creation that were like, mm. let's, you know, let's, let's go. I want to like change things up and I want to be a part of this process. These were people that were like, I I want a job. I want benefits. (laughs) You know, I want to come to work every day and then have my weekends off. So, you know, it was a different challenge. So I kind of learned in that process that, you know, there is definitely a difference between like me coming in here at Houston ballet. Suddenly we had you know, I was the new person that was coming in. I came into an established crew. And so how do you, how do you do that gracefully mm. and try and, you know, see what, what are the strengths and weaknesses and how to hire from that or how to move people around so that they're, they're stronger and happier and uh, feel like they can participate more or that they're, more useful people want to be useful you know Mm. that's part of the enjoyment of being in theater is that they really want to they want to be a part of it you know and if you kind of put them in the background and just make them do stuff that it's not enjoyable you know so Mm. um so there's a challenge to coming into an established crew as well where you you just need to kind of identify that and take your time to to figure out what how can we how can I help the situation without, you know, upending everything? Cause it, it's probably 98% functional, mm. you know? So, yeah. I, I really resonate with your, 
production and operation sort of teams oh, and yeah. mindset. I had the same experience here in Macau when uh, I was hiring stage managers first up and I kept hiring the ones that kind of were the creation mindset and then they wouldn't stick around. And I was like, I need people that stick around. And I really had to, I, I had to change the type of people that I was looking for. And yeah. even if they were less skilled, but more of the mindset and attitude to stay in a location for two to three years, because it's quite expensive to bring somebody across the world, onboard them. It was a very complex show. It took a long time to get sure. them up to speed. So if, if people were leaving all the time, all I was doing was training people, right? And it was just exhausting. So yeah, yeah I really, I really feel that. And it's, it's interesting that you, that you comment on that because, you know, how does one figure that out themselves? And I think this is sort of leads on to my next question, which is, you know, when people are thinking about going into this career and, and what kind of part of that career, I mean, and you've been in this industry for, for such a, a good amount of time and across multiple genres, what would you recommend, you know, people who are coming out of school or university now into, you know, finding that path that suits them? What would you recommend that they do? Well, you know, it's interesting. I um, I don't know what to recommend to people necessarily. I mean, I, I think you've, you have to find your joy. You have to find what it is that that makes you want to be a part of this. You know, when I, when I left Cirque uh, in 2018, I took some time to really reflect on, I, I mean, I, I was happy to do nothing for a little while. I think yeah. I went, you know, out for coffee with my friends and gardened a little bit and what have you. And then I, I sat there and I really thought like, what brought me into the business? What, what is it that I really like about it? You know, cause there are certain people that are like, Oh, I want to teach or, you know, people who think I, I have a passion for tailoring. I've actually had kids tell me that before when I've been like at USITT and I'm, you know, standing at the Cirque booth and they come running up because they're so excited to be there. And then they're like, I have a passion for tailoring. And I'm like, I don't know that this is the place for you. I mean, it's if you appreciate it, that's great. But if you want to do it, you know, you probably need to go somewhere else and and get that <laughs> out of you, you know, and then come back because you're we're not necessarily going to ask you to do that. So um, I think once people can kind of find their passion, then they can move forward. Like with me, I, I discovered that really I like just making the show. I like mm. putting together the stuff that gets into the theater, onto the stage, through that approval process, and then the next team can have it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So as head of costumes, of course, I care what's in the theater, but, um, but the majority of my job right now is getting it to the stage and making sure that it looks artistically sound, it works for everyone, fits and functions, um, you know, everyone's comfortable, the staff behind the scenes is happy um, because it's not too difficult for them to, you know, get the costumes on stage every day. And then we go on to the next one. Hmm. And that to me is kind of a ball at this point in time. So, you know, I think my advice to people is don't feel like you have to do what is your ultimate dream job right this second. 
find where your passion is and don't be afraid to move around to find that. Um, but do it in a, in an intelligent way where you can actually like, I think having those experiences where you maybe go and you do a little summer theater or you do a festival, um, you know, maybe you work for one of the regional theaters for a while on a couple of productions or you go and you are a dresser for Nutcracker for a season or two, you know, that that's a really good experience that builds up your resume. People like me look at that and go, you know, this person really was trying things out and what have you, as opposed to, I took this job, I quit this job. I went on to the next job. I quit this job. You know what I mean? Right. That's a different kind of experience. But I think, I think people are, I think people are too afraid to be like, what is my ultimate job? I must have that right this second Mm. as I'm coming out of college. And I don't, I don't think you do. I think you can actually leave the industry for a while and do something else and then go, actually, I really miss it and get back in. You know, I don't, don't be afraid to experience life and then find what your passion is and, and then hone into that at a Mm. later date. I, really I was love always that. fascinated. I was always fascinated by we would do like these big um, panel discussions, right? And all of the you know students would be like, "Like, what was your path in theater?" And I was usually the only person sitting in one of those panel discussions from Cirque that was like, "Well, I started out in theater costuming. I had a job before I." finish school in theater costuming and I like literally just moved up in theater costuming the whole time Mm. and everyone else around me was like well I went to school to become an engineer and then I you know quit and took a year off and I like hiked around Europe and then I came back and I was a longshoreman for a while and then I got back into you know like they all had these amazing fascinating uh, experiences that led to them being the head of automation for something mm. or, you know, the head of rigging for something else. And I was like, am I the only person that actually like went to school for this and has just stayed in the business? And it, <laughs> it just kind of amused me because I, I was like, you know, gosh, I feel like I really should have done more of that. But I think I was doing that because I was touring a lot, you know, so I mm. felt like I was out adventuring. <laughs> But yeah. um, I think that's what I think that's really the key to it is you you have to you have to adventure a little bit in order to to find really what you like and where you want to land. You know, I think that's really sound advice. I think that's like your early twenties is a time to, and even your late twenties, a time to shop around and figure out what it is yeah. that you really want to do. You know, and 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 that and there's something to be said for that well-rounded experience. Anyway, even if you're doing other facets of theatre, it, it all of everything you learn there is not lost when you go to master one thing. You know, five, six, seven years later. You know, no, it's very yeah. good. So we always finish our. Um, podcast with two questions so i'm going to ask you these these now okay (laughs) what's your most favorite thing about your job or the industry my favorite thing about my job or the industry well i mean the performances i would guess you know what i mean i find i find that um well i don't know yeah i would think the performances but i also think the people I mean, I, there's mm-hmm. just been some really fascinating people that I've been able to work with that are so talented, no matter where they're at, you know, if they're 
a costume designer that you're like, oh my God, you are the most creative person I've ever worked with. Or, um, you know, someone that's just truly entertaining that's in the business or someone that is so incredibly talented in, you know, their, their expertise, you know, whether it's a principal dancer here or whether it's, um, you know, a singer at the opera or what, you know, whatever I it's, it's been really fun to work with such a wide range of people and so much talent. Um, Mm. but I mean, the performances are fun too. (laughs) Right. That's why we kind of got into the industry. That's the end result, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And if you could change one thing about your job or the industry, what would you change? I would, uh, that's just kind of a twofold um, answer I'm going to give you. There are a couple of things. One, I think that um, there are an awful lot of people in this industry that are highly underpaid and undervalued. And it's, there is a mentality that, you know, we love to say the show will go on. (laughs) Right. And I think most people in theater would agree with that. Like we're going to Mm. make the show happen no matter what, but I think, I think the pandemic was a good opportunity for us to really reevaluate the way that we tend to overwork ourselves in this industry. Um, there's an awful lot of hours that are spent putting things together that don't necessarily need to be spent putting things together. Like you could do it in pretty much a normal week. And then we're all passionate enough that we would make it happen if we needed to add a few hours here and there. But I just find that combination of people feeling like they've got to work and that they're not really making a lot of money for it we need to change that we need to change Mm. how how we're paying people how we're valuing the actual people that are doing the work to make the product on the stage sell to the audiences Mm. i love that yeah that's a very good answer well thank you sandra so much for joining us on the theater art life podcast and i'm really pumped that i learned that uh, opera costumes could be made from upholstery sometimes (laughs) Yeah, next time you go, you're going to be like, it does look like a chair. It's amazing. I know. You're right. They're always so rich. So I was like, it it totally makes sense that it's upholstery. Now I'm going to be looking for it. So, yeah. So thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful to to see you again and and to hear about, uh, you know, what you've been doing over your career. Thank you, Anna. Same to you.